Welcome back to episode 45, season two. I'm your host, Ori, and we're so excited today. We've had some amazing games this weekend, the college football playoffs, the wild card weekend. It's been an exciting, exciting weekend. We just came back from the lake week. We have some pretty fun stories to tell, but let's start off with our wonderful analyst. Let's start off with the Clark Kent man himself looking absolutely fly today, Jeremy Giles. At your service. Ooh, for all of you that, uh, for all you listeners, he just whipped off those glasses. Speaking of Jacob, there's a Frisbro, Jacob Cassett. Hey guys. Oh, he's so happy today. What's going on, Jacob? Yeah, my little Chinese food snacks. <laughs> and <laughs> giggling as always, we have uh, the bandwagon Bucks fan, Daniel Fox. Shekipavaka uh, Shaw. Ah, very nice, very nice. Appreciate the heat. Yeah, what does that mean? Be quiet. And what's no. Gordon? Hey guys. He uh he got his several punishments at the lake. Ellis, do you want to explain what happened at the lake house? I was not able to say daddy over and over again as I kind of forgot, but it's okay. I got my punishment and I think all is fair in the universe now. I, I have, I mean, I'll let all of you guys have like a brief story from the week because we have a great episode planned for you. But I remember Ellis um, cooking for us only in his underpants and, uh, you know, his badonky donkey donkey, as uh, Fox liked to say. Let's not uh, excite stuff. the list. Let's not excite the listeners here. Uh, <laughs> Let's not <laughs> turn them away more like it. He was cooking only in his underpants uh, with some toilet paper stuffed down his butt. And uh, he looked like a kangaroo. And I appreciated it. And he looked great. Ellis, nice job. Danny, do you have a fun story of the week for us? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the uh, Ellis incident was, uh, you know, it's disgusting for all parties. But yeah, Jacob killed me in Madden. Alex Glenn, just a monster in football. Oh, Daniel, do you want to talk about your back-to-back-to-back home runs on MLB The Show? Oh, yeah. We played some MLB The Show. I cleaned up Jacob's mess. Yeah, Jacob would basically barf all over his controller, and I'd be there cleaning it up, played some little kids who were disrespecting me, disrespecting the game. And uh, I just had to tell him, get out of here. You had to say, adios, pelota. Adios, pelota. (laughs) And don't forget. Strike three, high fastball. Jacob started an actual uh, actual work this week. You want to tell us a bit about that? Oh man, it's 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 rough. It's a lot of work. Getting getting paid some money to do some dirty work for my uncle. That's not, oh, that sounded so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> getting paid some money to to clean up could clean up some construction debris and to do some chores for my uncle Dave. Yeah, Lake Week was was a blast. Everyone had fun. Did destroy Dan and Madden, not just Dan, everyone else as well. I want to induct somebody into the Manhunt Hall of Fame, and that would be Ori Benari, going under the canoe. Would have never been found if Max didn't cheat. Um, But I also had some good hiding spots uh, between the logs, um, uh, in between a tree. I mean, I was really so good. He they're so good he can't remember them. Uh, And yes, I'd like to induct Daniel into the Hall of Fame as well. Uh, He's just been so amazing. And, you know, me and him took the top uh, spot in Manhunt every time. So what can I say? I would like to induct you into the Hall of Cuties. Oh, first ballot. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's move on to some sports uh, after this shenaniganry going on this weekend. We actually had an interesting roundup of all our predictions. Um, The winner of the last round... Again, Jacob Kasdan. Hey, that's number. That's win number two for me, I believe, right? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, the mean? loser is Jeremy Giles, but he didn't really lose because he still looks sexy as hell with those glasses. So he'll be getting a punishment. Somebody has to lose. You know, it's a story arc, right? I'm like a sign graph. You know, I got first. I've been slowly going down a little bit. I'm at the bottom. <laughs> it's all up from here. 
We actually have an interesting proposition for you guys, the listeners. Please go to our Instagram and vote for the punishment that Jeremy should get. We're going to put it as a question, but I have some interesting ones. As a, for you guys that may know, Jeremy's moving down to Baltimore uh, this weekend, right? This weekend? Yep, this Saturday, this Saturday. So I think he should walk out in front of his roommate dressed in nothing except his underpants and then start pouring milk all over himself. I think that would be pretty you funny. Saw that, you saw that on TikTok. No, I don't have TikTok, Jacob. Wow. Honestly, I yeah, I'm not sure I'll veto that one. We'll see. I mean, I think <laughs> but yeah, you know. uh, we'll we'll just get them on Instagram, and you guys are welcome to respond to the poll. Um, Jacob, you got a little rant here. You know, it's my second win. I've never lost, even though Ellis is more wins. I've never lost, which I'd rather have. And you know, my my expert analysis. I'm usually never wrong when it comes to sports. When I'm wrong, I'll admit it. I'm like Daniel Fox. But, uh, you know, thanks to all the viewers and the listeners for cheering me on, and I'll take another win next week as well. All right, let's move on to the college football playoffs. I don't think we updated you guys with what exactly happened, but we had, um, you know, some crazy games. Actually, just last night uh, was the final, and I'm going to have some recaps from it. For all of you that haven't watched or don't know the score, um, I'm going to let Ellis, why don't you recap the game for us a little so Alabama versus Ohio State was a great game. Eh, not, not, not the most exciting because Alabama pretty much blew Ohio State out of the water, followed by Mac Jones and Devonta Smith posting 12, 224, and three touchdowns in the first half. Don't quote me on the yardage, but it was something around there. 215 offs, nine yards off. Damn. Either way, sexy half from Devonta Smith and capping off a season for Alabama that was really undefeated. So that's pretty much tells you all you need to know about that. And – Yes, Trey Sermon went out early. That did not help the Buckeyes. And the Buckeyes played admirably. But in the end, this Alabama offense is one of the best offenses in college football history. So they definitely, no match for the Buckeyes. I also want to give some credit to Steve Sarkeesian, who, you know, so many times this season, you know, you know Devontae Smith was getting the ball. But he finds ways to get balls, to get the ball into the hands of his playmakers. So I think he's a huge part of the success, again, with all that talent. You guys heard Bill O'Brien as their new offensive coordinator? Oh, really? Yeah, because really? Sarkeesian, Sarkeesian is moving on to, um, I don't know, but he's moving on to another college, I believe. Um, he, I think he's going, yeah, he's going to Texas. Steve Sarkeesian uh, is the head coach of and Texas. And another, another thing about this game, or not the game, but more about Alabama in general, you got you to gotta give credit to Nick Saban. Every every player he, since he's had since he started there in 2001, 2001. If they didn't transfer. That's won a championship. Has, not has 2001. Not 2009. Not at all. Nine, 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 eight, nine, nine. 11, 12 years, every player has won a championship. That's crazy. I want to give uh, want to give Mac Jones some credits. I've been a little bit of a harsh credit, but uh, he's really impressed me these last two games. Obviously, the arm strength isn't top of the charts. That's why he's not going in the uh, top of the first round like Lawrence and Fields and uh, Wilson. But his pocket presence is pretty amazing. And uh, his accuracy, his composure, his presence in the pocket um, – I think he's just he's he reminds me a lot of Matt Bryan now that I look at him, just the size, uh, the accuracy. I think he'll be a de- I'll think he'll be a strong NFL quarterback. I think he needs to have the right pieces around him. I think if he goes to a Jacksonville or a Jets, that might be really tough for him. I mean, I think with him, to me, he still feels like just the hardest to evaluate. Not the meaning to take away. He's had an awesome past two days. Not past two days. I'm sorry, past two games, and that's 100% has to be said. But he's still playing with maybe the best college 
receiver of all time or one of the best college receivers of all time, whatever you believe, right? And one of the most stacked offenses with still a very good defense and team with no weaknesses, right? Like, I think if you put a lot of, I don't know if a lot, but like there's other college quarterbacks you could put in the system and probably get similar results. Like, right, if Justin Fields played in the system, could he get Mac Jones numbers? I'd argue he could. Trevor Lawrence, I'm not bothering mentioning him, but like a Trey Lance could. I think any of the other prospects could kind of get these numbers. So it's just hard to evaluate how much is truly Mac Jones being great and how much is the offense. I mean, I think you can make that argument, though, about every single piece in Alabama, right? Like, um, I mean, if Najee Harris doesn't play with um, with Devontae Smith and Mac Jones, does he get such a good season? If Devontae Smith doesn't play with Mac Jones and with Najee Harris, does he have a good season? But you can't I, – I, my point is, like, they played together and they had the best season of all time. So it's kind of hard to, like, say, you know, this isn't working. I think what Jeremy's saying – I don't want to speak for Jeremy. I think, you know, nothing, he's not taking anything away from Mac Jones. But when you evaluate what he – uh, what he will be as an NFL prospect. I mean, in all sincerity, he is has a clean pocket. He is throwing a wide open receivers down the field. What can he do when he's throwing to a guy, you know, one yard open instead of five yards or he needs to, or he's under pressure all game. And I think we really haven't seen that. So I think that kind of puts a damper on him when you talk about him as an NFL prospect. Yeah. All right. So we want to move on to uh, baseball. Oh, I see Daniel's very excited. Jacob too. All right. As uh, Jeremy Ellis and I take a back seat, we'll let these two hammer it out. Let's uh, talk some baseball trades. Darvish and Snell to the Padres. Bum, bum, um, bum, 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 bum. Talking baseball with Dan and Jake. And welcome to Talking Baseball with Dan and Jake. This is Daniel Fox with my buddy Jacob Casson, Sox Yankees. How's it going? I'll pitch in some. Give me it's some. going well. Um, the first thing that happened, I mean, there's been a lot of baseball. Baseball's been a little slow, but we got some major trades. And we'll start with Darvish and Snell to the Padres. Uh, so, BDK, what are you thinking about this in terms of the NL West race? Obviously, the Dodgers uh, smoked the Padres three games in the NLDS last year. But uh, Tatis, another year of experience. Uh, Paddock, another year of experience. Hopefully, bounce back. I mean, these are two probably the two best teams in baseball. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. Two, two, two best teams, if two of the best, if not two, the two best teams in baseball. But for the NL West race, honestly, until the Padres like can prove me wrong, I'm still going to say Dodgers take that division just because they've been at the top of that division for so long and they've been consistent for so long. Yeah, Kershaw is regressing, but they have some young stars too. Bueller, Dustin May has been pretty good, and that offense that they've built is just ridiculously good. Then again, so is the Padres. But this trade, looking at it from, from my perspective, I like it for the Padres. For the for the Rays, I'm also fine with it because I don't have to face Snell 10 times a year, whatever, eight times a year, however many times you face them. But um, I think it was for the Padres, it's it's a very good deal. It solidifies them as one of the best pitching rotations in baseball. And if the NOS is going to be super, super interesting this year. What do you think, Dan? There's a couple angles to look at this trade, obviously. I'll, I'll start. I'll talk about the Rays and the Cubs a little bit. Um, the Rays, look, this is just how they operate. I mean, they trade star players even when they're, you know, after a World Series run. Cubs, they went out and trade Darvish for, you know, Zach Davies, who was a solid mid-rotation pitcher, and four prospects who are not going to be there for a while. So I think the Cardinals and uh, maybe the Reds, rather the Reds with losing Trevor Bauer, I think the Cardinals clearly the best team in that NL Central. Um and look, Padres and Dodgers, these are well, – I can see both winning over 100 games this year. I mean, these are two incredibly assembled teams. I do worry a little bit 
about the Padres back end of the bullpen. I know we talked a little bit like before in our baseball segment, like other episodes, how like, you know, baseball is very much a game with windows and you got to go and win your window. And so I think this is a really good move for the Padres because they recognize this is their window. This is Machado, Tatis Jr., they had a good season last year, but, you know, they were short of the Dodgers. To be in the World Series, the Dodgers are your target. They are the perennial team that you're going to have to beat. So these are moves designated for one team only, and this is to beat the Dodgers. And Darvish is coming off a good year. Of Snell's also coming off a good year. Two, uh, 2.01 ERA in 12 games played in 2020. That's a good year for Darvish. And these are two pitchers that can match up with the Dodgers pitchers, and they are going to need that if they want to win or if they want to get to the World Series. This is go time for the Padres. We'll only see if this trade works if they get to the World Series in the next two or three years. But this is now or never, and I think this helps them make it sure that it'll be now. Yeah, I, I agree with you there, Ellis. But Fox, question for you. More yeah. on the Blake, the Blake Snell side of the trade. Do you mm-hmm. think he's going to excel with the Padres? Because we know with the Rays, his innings were limited. His pitches were limited. What do you think? Is, are they going to let him loose, or are they going to try to keep him low and if his pitch count and inning count for the, for the season? Um, I'm, look, I think Blake Snell's a great pitcher. And I think he had a little bit of a down 2019 season. I think he was better in 2020. But this is a Cy Young winner. And, you know, what he's learned from the Rays with their incredible coaching staff and development system, I think he'll carry that over to the Padres. And, you know, we talk about innings limit. The pressure's not all on him. They got Denilson Lamette, who's an, an ace. Hugh Darvish, second in the Cy Young. Um, they got uh, Chris Paddock, who was, you know, terrific 2019 or guessed a little bit last year. And they got guys coming up like uh, Mackenzie Gore. So he might be the number, th- the game three star. There's not a lot. Of pressure on him, but I think he will really excel here. Um, so let's move on. Uh, the big trade. I mean, we thought that was going to be the big trade, but Lindor, Francisco Lindor, and Carlos Carrasco go to the New York Mets. Ahmed Rosario, uh, young shortstop, Andres Jimenez, he played a little bit last year, and a couple other prospects are going back to Cleveland. Um, very interesting point of view, uh, ways we can look at this trade. Um, obviously, the Mets, Steve Cohen. They're really going. They're really going for it. Um, getting Francisco Lindor, that is a marquee name. That is a top five, ten position, not position player, but just player in general in baseball. Um, but I want to ask you, uh, Jacob, and if Alice, you wanted to jump in. I mean, where do you see the Indians going with this? Because, you know, I'm on Rosario. He does he a low average hitter, doesn't walk, swings at everything. One of the least disciplined players in baseball. Good defender. Andres Jimenez, pretty good prospect. Not a high ceiling, not a lot of power, um, and a couple other prospects we won't see for a while. I mean, where do we go with the Indians? Obviously, we, from last year, we don't have the hugest sample size. It's only a 60-game season, but uh, Indians were only one game back of the Twins. And obviously, I think losing Lindor and Carrasco is going to hurt a lot, more than Lindor than Carrasco. But yeah, Lindor, as you said, marquee name, star, one of the best shortstops in the game. And I think he's that's, that's going to be a huge loss for them because he was their, their number two hitter. The switch hitter hit right, righty, lefty, both very well. And uh, we've seen their starting pitching has regressed and they've lost their, their best pitchers over the past, past couple of years. But I think that AL Central could definitely still be an interesting division to watch. And I have no clue who's really going to win it. See, the Indians come out as clear losers. But the question is, were they, was this a situation in which they could have come out a winner? I guess is the question I want to pose because um, Lindor, I believe, was on last year's contract. And this the Indians, last year. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry. And, and the Indians are not going to re-sign him. Yeah. So, so see, I feel like this is – just looking at straight up, this is a sparse return for Lindor, a possible MVP candidate, and Carrasco, who was a great pitcher. 
But that said, what were they going to get out of him? They need to start not necessarily a rebuild, but they were never getting Lindor off that cut. They're never getting Lindor to resign. So might as well get something from him. What they got from isn't all too bad considering the circumstances. So the Indians, I think, are winners kind of. Like, you, you don't love it, but you know the situation. The Mets, on the other hand, I mean, Steve Cohen says, I'm here and I'm ready to play. Let's play ball. He's Mets fans should be excited, even though, as I said before, I'm not going to ban the Mets until they actually, you know, do something because it's the Mets. As a Yankees fan, it annoys me because it's a good prospect going to... I actually don't find the Mets that annoying me on you know, New York, New York. But as the Mets, the shows, we're here to play. Yeah, totally. Up, but to- to- totally agree with you there, Ellis. But Foxy, before you talk about the Indians and the Mets, I'm going to ask you a question for the Mets. Do you think they're done? Because there's been some rumors about them going for Chris Bryant. And uh, do you think that's true? Or do you think they're going to stop and play with the team they've got now? Yeah, I mean, you look at the Mets offseason. Look, they've done a tremendous job. They struggled at catcher last year. They went out and get James McCann. A little bit of a shortage in the back end of the bullpen. They go out and get Trevor May, who's been a really consistent reliever for a couple of years. And now they go get Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco. And they were not – a lot of it has to do with injuries, but they were not a good rotation beyond Jacob Grom last year. So I don't really see anywhere they really need to add. I mean, and they – you know, if the NL doesn't have a DH, things get interesting because they have Dominic Smith, who was one of their best hitters last year, and Pete Alonso, who had 53 home runs in 2019. So do you move Smith to left? Uh, they do have Cano out, they, but they'll move McNeil to second. I think they've got basically every position filled. If they want to upgrade third base because they have J.D. Davis there, who's only, you know, who's a decent regular. But if you want to, they definitely still have the pieces to go out and get a Nolan Aaron, maybe not Nolan Arenado, but a Chris Bryant, whose value is low right now. But Bryant is also a free agent, so they, they want to pay to get Lindor and Bryant. There's a lot of things to consider. But one oh, last that, point that's about starting the starting rotation also. That's really yeah. good now. Yeah, but, I mean, there's still some questions about Syndergaard. Matt's had a terrible year last year. Roman, Roman was injured. So yeah. I think having a Carlos Carrasco, who, you know, except for the past couple of years, he's been a very durable, consistent starter. And, you know, think, I'm always thinking with playoff teams, where do they go first three games in a postseason series? It doesn't get much better, except maybe in the Dodgers and Padres, than DeGrom, Syndergaard, Carrasco. And then you have Stroman going game four. I mean, it's just a very deep rotation. But one last point about the Indians I want to bring up. They have they had five pretty average offensive regulars. They lost Carlos Santana to the Royals. They're not going to bring back Cesar Hernandez. Lindor they traded. They have Jose Ramirez and Fernando Reyes. This is not a contending offense. And especially with the White Sox, who we're going to talk about next, getting better. And the Twins with all their offensive pieces. I don't see how the Indians can compete. But let's move on. Let's move on to the White Sox. They got Lance Lynn earlier in the offseason. Um, they're out on George Frainer, but they've been linked to some other names. And now they go out and they get Liam Hendricks from the Oakland Athletics, solidifying the back end of the bullpen. What I find interesting about this is Alex Colomay had a great season for them last year and the year before, but they, they're going all in. You know, they get Tony LaRusa. You don't sign a 78-year-old manager. And again, I'm not a big fan of that signing, all the off-the-field issues that LaRusa has had. But you don't sign a 70-whatever-year-old manager if you're not trying to win now. And I think they're the clear favorites in the AL Central with the Indians clearly, you know, you know, tearing it down, not building it up. And the Twins haven't won a playoff game in, what, been since 2006? So, um, Jacob, you got William Hendricks here um, going to the White Sox, arguably the best closer in baseball. Uh, where does this put the you're a Yankees fan? Where does this put the White Sox in the upper echelon of the AL teams? I mean, they're de- in my opinion, I think they're 
probably top three, I would assume. I mean, as much as it pains me to say that they could, they could, they could do better than the Yankees this year. I think that's, that's it's a harsh reality that I'm gonna have to face, but it's totally true. And, you know, Hendricks just add they've they already had a great season last year. They got a lot of young power. Jimenez, Robert, you know, they're consistent with Grandal and Abreu, and they're they're just a scary team that no one wants to play. Starting pitching is probably their weakness, and it's not even that weak. Adding Hendricks to that bullpen just makes the late games much easier for them. And I think they're going to – obviously, I think they're going to win their division. But uh, I'm a little worried as the Yankee fan, to be honest. I think uh, you see that the White Sox are starting to build themselves in the model of the Yankees where you have these all these young right-handed hitters. They remind me a lot of the Yankees, and now they're adding to the bullpen. And we know the Yankees – for many years, even though they never win anything, their strength is their bullpen. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you that the White Sox are the team to beat definitely in the AL Central. And, you know, Yankees obviously are still strong. Rays, we'll see how they adjust without Morton and Snell. You know, the athletics are always there. Um, but, look, there's a lot of free agents out there. We'll probably have some more signed this week. Sounds like the Red Sox are going to make some moves. Andrew Benintendi maybe. Benintendi on the um, move. All right, enough baseball. We're going to send it back to you. I know you're yawning and bored over there, but let's get back to some football. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. All right. After that little snooze miss, I think we, we're going to take it a bit different this week. We're going to combine <laughs> two of our most popular segments and talk about obituaries for teams that got knocked out of the playoffs. So, unfortunately, you will be not be hearing from my improv or their improv, which I don't really call that improv. It's more outprov. But, you know, I think that it's it's really – it's going to be a, a great segment, and uh, I'm really excited to see how it turns out. Uh, we have Jeremy first to talk about obituary for the Seahawks. So, on the offensive side, I think, first of all, I think Russell Wilson just got tired during the season. He seems starting off incredibly hot. And over time, I think you're just really carrying the team. The team's defense was non-existent. Which honestly, I think just he got tired of receiving. You saw at the end, he kind of slowed down and that continued into the playoffs. And now, let me be clear the Rams, I'm still salty they beat the Jets, beat them. So, I'm not giving any credit to the Rams. I want to be clear. But I think part of it's Russell Wilson slowing down. Part of it also, I think this idea of kind of letting Russell Wilson open the offense. One thing Pete Carroll has done is that he likes playing a conservative offense, like he has a great defense. And you can see in this game, Despite the fact that they did not have a great defense, they turned to that, right? They only threw the ball 27 times and they ran it 16, both of which were very unsuccessful, right? There's more runs than completions, which would tell you that there is a problem, both with Russell Wilson and with the game plan, too, as an extent, too, playing really conservative, which you don't do against a great defense with even an elite quarterback, and when, in the Hirschfeld transition, the defense sucks, right? Over the past few weeks, the defense has count, gone from a historical low to a decent defense, but not a good defense. It's something that should be clear, right? Like, they were getting pressure with Jamal Adams, I think, getting this record, I believe it was nine sacks, the record sacks for safety. Carlos Dansby, they were going to make the defense better, but it's still, this was not an elite unit. This was a fine unit. And the way they played their offense, they needed this to be an elite unit that could shut down the Rams, and clearly it wasn't even what they thought. Because they somehow gave up 23 points to Jared Goff, who basically had a broken thumb. So I think with the Seahawks... What do you mean basically had a broken thumb? He had a broken thumb. I mean, it was... He had a surgery like 12 days before. I don't know what condition the thumb was in the game. But my point was, this really was a very disappointing showing from the Seahawks against a very inconsistent Rams team that... 
there's really no excuse in my mind for the Seahawks, right? Like, the Rams team, they lost their starting quarterback in the first minutes. Aaron Donald came out in the beginning of the second half. Like, there's no excuses for the Seahawks team. All right, no excuses, no holdback bars. Jacob, it's on to you and the Titans. What happened here? Explain. Be, be our little mortician. What happened to the body? Analyze this for me. Yeah, so I was not expecting the Ravens to beat the Titans. I'm not a huge Ravens fan. I don't like Lamar Jackson. He's not a good quarterback. Don't have to talk about that right now. Jeremy, don't say anything. But yeah, I was super surprised to see mo- mostly the offensive side for the for the Titans. Derrick Henry, what, over 2,000 rush yards, right? Over 2,000 rush yards. Only eight or nine other players all time have done that. In this game, 2.2 yards per carry. He had 44 yards in the game. That's absolutely atrocious. You could throw Jeremy, Jeremy Giles back there. He could get more yards. And, uh, yeah, I think, in, in, to be honest, that was their main problem because that has been their offense all year. The rush opens up the play action, and the play action – with play action comes the deep ball. And that's how the Titans scored a lot of the points, the deep ball and then runs from Derrick Henry. And uh, their offense was just stagnant, right? That's a good word, right, Ori? Yeah, their offense is totally stagnant. 4.3 yards per play, about four yards down from what they're used to. But uh, I think the Titans, they still have a bright future. Tannehill's still good, Derrick Henry's still good. But what I'm looking for the Titans to do this off season Corey Davis is a free agent. I think he's going to sign somewhere else. Hope the Giants get him. They need him. So I think they got They have to draft, either draft or sign in, in free agency, another receiver too, to play behind A.J. Brown. Because Corey Davis was all types of inconsistent in his three three years in the league so far. Defensively, we all know they signed Jadavian Clowney this year. He was a fail. He had no sacks this year. He, he, had, he had the injury bug a couple times, but he had no sacks. He was a fail. But uh, this defensive line and defensive edge draft is very, very strong. And with the Titans going out early in the playoffs, it puts them up higher in the, in the draft than I expected them to. So I think they could definitely they could draft a good defensive line or edge to replace Clowney next season. Obviously, they're going to beef up their linebackers who are a little weak. And um, they should probably sign some other tight ends as well. Obviously, we know Johnny Smith has been pretty good this year. But all their other tight ends, all four of them are all free agents and most likely not re-signing. But uh, Titans, no need to worry right now. They're still going to be the dogs of their division next year. I was super, as I said earlier, super surprised this to happen. But uh, there's always next year. Well, one thing I want to add with the Titans is that this team had 18 sacks this season. That I, They said it on the broadcast. That was the worst by a division winner, I think, ever. And what happens when you're, you know, you have 18 sacks? They're 29th in the week in passing, passing yards allowed. I mean, they were below average in basically anything you want to talk about defensively. I mean, they need to get better at pretty much every defensive position. Malcolm Butler is a good corner. They were without Davion Clowney. I mean, that hurt a little. But this is a defense that needs to be completely overworked. And this is probably, you know, Derrick Henry was the number one rated running back. A.J. Brown was the number two receiver. Dan Hill was number six quarterback. I mean, this offense is as good as it gets, but they are dragged down by this terrible defense. Well, I don't, I don't know why they really did so bad defensively. Obviously, their corners, they, it's, not, it's not Malcolm Butler. That's good. It's Adore Jackson. He's their, he's their young star corner. They've got good safeties, and uh, I just don't really know what wrong. Yes, Lamar Jackson. I mean, it's pressure. They don't. The the other thing I might say that went wrong, I think, is they used Derrick Henry too much in that final game. What? Right. It what? takes a lot to do. Not what, at all. The last I mean, game was he only had eighteen carries. No, no, no listen to me. The last he's game, saying the last week, week seventeen. Used him in the final, not the- this final game. The last game of the season, they used him what? 
like 36 rushes for like 250 yards. That's so he true. probably I, they in to me it looks like they just ran him into the ground essentially. So I don't know how much he had left. I but actually he's Henry, but he's still human. I kind of actually disagree with that to be honest. One they had to use him because um I'm not, I'm not I'm not also also I mean what happened was with that Taylor Lewin out they lost at the point the Ravens won at the point of attack Derrick Henry didn't really have any chance to do good I mean he was getting hit if you can't run if you're getting hit two yards after the line but that's not the Titans problem Taylor Lewin will get back they will be fine I think we learned two things about the Titans number one is Ryan Tanhill is not Mahomes he's a very good quarterback he cannot carry his team to a win so that's the first thing. So they're going to need a good defense, good offense. Ryan Tannehill can win a Super Bowl, but he can't carry his team to a Super Bowl. That's what we learned. One, two is this defense needs some star rushers to come in and make some moves. Getting no pre- their cornerbacks are fine, but getting no pressure is going to do you no good in playoff situations. If they can get, if they can get a, a good pass rush and a good pass rush and a, maybe another receiver, they will be more than fine. All right. With that prognosis, I think we're ready to move on to our next victim. I believe it is Daniel with the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, so when I uh, evaluate the Indianapolis Colts, I mean, this is a team that does pretty much everything well. I mean, they're top half in the league in passing yards, rushing yards, points, uh, protecting the quarterback, turnovers, rush defense. Um, I think they just got a tough draw. I mean, playing the Buffalo Bills in the wildcard game, that's really tough. And they played a good game. but a couple of things I think they need to improve on. Look, I think they need a number one receiver. I think T.Y. Hilton, he's still a down-the-field threat, but I don't think he's a number one uh, receiver at this stage of the career. Zach Pascal, Michael Pittman, I mean, they were solid, but they're probably, you know, just complimentary pieces. I think, you know, Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay, Corey Davis, I mean, I think that would be, you know, a really good fit for them this offseason. I think they need to improve uh, in the back end, the secondary. Uh, 20th in the league in pass yards. I think they need a third corner. Rock Yasin, awesome name, not awesome player. Um, pretty, pretty bad cornerback. Uh, safety. Rock Yasin had a great season this year. They, he was rated 104th among all cornerbacks. Well, Ellis, you know when Fox his analysis, all he goes by is PFF. So that's not true. He's I mean, a. He was a rookie and he had a pretty good season for a rookie. I think. I still think they need to improve in the secondary. I mean, they're 20th in the league in passing yards allowed. Um, and they were generating tons of pressure. So I think you got to look at the back of the secondary. Free safety, Justin sure. Blackman. Uh, yeah, he struggled a little bit this year. And uh, one other one other uh, position I think they need to improve on. Do we know if end of the road for Philip Rivers? I mean, I've been very critical of him. Um, he had a pretty decent season, especially in the second half. Everything started to come together. I mean, in the second half of the season, they really played well. T.Y. Hilton was a true number one receiver. Pittman came on. Taylor broke out. Uh, Rivers started playing better. They weren't turning the ball over as much. And there are, I mean, there's a lot to like here. There's two all pros on the defensive side and Buckner and Leonard. Um, Himes and Taylor are arguably the great, uh, best running back combination in football right now. But I do think they need to go out and get a quarterback. I mean, we've talked a lot about Carson Wentz uh, reuniting with Frank Wright. Um, but there's a lot to like. I mean, this is a great offensive line. They get pressure. They stop the run. I, I, like I said, they need to improve in the secondary, but I think this is a great starting point moving forward if they get a quarterback. Yeah, I think the Colts live and die by quarterback. The infrastructure's there. Yeah, they might have a semi-weak secondary, but uh, they're missing one thing, and that's a playmaking 
quarterback or really, really good receivers, but they're not getting really good receivers. But with a really good quarterback season, at least, you're going to get Michael Pittman, I think this can be a very good receiver. T.Y. Hilton, uh, this is a fine receiving core with a very good quarterback, a very good quarterback. Not that Rivers was bad, but I think a very good quarterback puts them on the top to be a Super Bowl contender. I think if, if, if just Philip Rivers could complete as many passes a game as he has kids, they would just be perfect. I think that's exactly where would they, they'd need to be in, you know. I think they would really take the next next step there. Plus, he has to put all of them through college. So, good luck with that, Philip. The situation with the quarterback, <laughs> it still goes back to when Andrew Luck retires, I think, in my opinion, right? Because they had built a perfect team around him, a perfect team with his star quarterback, ready to go to a Super Bowl. And since he retired so out of a sudden, not faulting him for it. It's just right. They didn't have a contingency plan or a way to get easily get a very good quarterback now going into the more we have the Steelers who started off 11 and 0 and had an absolute collapse did not play literally played one good half of football after that 11th game against the Colts one half they absolutely sucked and this starts a few things one the quarterback they need to draft a quarterback or get a quarterback Big Ben he could play another half year but they're not winning with Big Ben they're not winning a Super Bowl with Big Ben again he can still get them to the playoffs but they're not winning a Super Bowl Two, offensive coordinator. The offensive game plan should not be to rely on an old quarterback with just had elbow surgery to throw 50 times every game. They need to have a way better offensive game plan. They, the thing with the Steelers is this is a very good defense. They do not need their offense to carry them. But they can't have Big Ben throwing so many times a game. Two, on that note, better running back in a line. And last, well, the receivers have to, that's another, the receivers have to oh, stop Ellis, dropping. Ellis, hold on, back to the offensive yeah. line. They're losing Pouncey, star center. Yes, but he had a bad season this year, so uh, that also, might big, actually Big Ben said he was retiring the same time as Pouncey, so we could look forward to that potentially. So, yeah, so quarterback's the number one pressing issue. Receivers need to be coached better. They're a talented receiving core, and they just have no excuse for dropping the ball. They don't need Juju. Even, even without Juju, their receiving core is extremely talented. There is no excuse for them to drop the ball that much. That was ridiculous. And pretty much comes down, in my opinion, to game plan. Um, they might not get Bud Dupree, but you saw this defense don't necessarily need Bud Dupree, even though they could obviously use him. So this team really needs a quarterback and a better offensive game plan, and they will be Super Bowl contenders again. I'd like to push back on the quarterback argument. I think you can win with Big Ben, but I think he needs more support. And when I say more support, I don't mean defensive support. You can't win with Big Ben throwing 50 times a game. But I think if you play him more like the Colts tried to play Phillip Rivers, right? You get him like a really good run game. You make him throw a few times. You, I'm not saying he can't ever be a gunslinger. Like I know he's Big Ben's not exactly known for being the quarterback that limits his turnovers. Jeremy, as you saw in, in the early season where the Steelers dominated, they were running the ball. So they have what it takes to run the ball. They just couldn't do it anymore. Well, that's what I mean. I think you need – clearly for at least a second – not half, but last third of the season, they could not run the ball. So to me, you need – I still think you need to move off like James Conner and get a much better line. Not against James Conner's talent, but I think you can win Big Ben, but you have to have like a really good run game, which they do now. I mean, do you want to take a chance and say, look, if we give a 40-year-old Ben Roethlisberger a running game in this amazing defense, could we potentially be contenders? I mean, if you want to take that chance, sure. But he had an offensive line that protected him better than any in football. He has plenty of talented young receivers. 
I mean, you got to put some blame on the quarterback. I mean, he turns the ball over too much. He wasn't efficient passing. He did have, you know, rack up the yards and touchdowns like he always does, but that's because uh, he threw the ball 50, 60 times a game. I think you need to move on from Big Ben. I mean, best case for them is he retires, so they don't have to, you know, cut a franchise legend. I do think they need – they pretty much need to upgrade everywhere on uh, offense. I think they need – you know, Claypool's fine. Deontay Johnson's fine. They weren't rated that high, uh, but they did have good – nice on season. They will develop, but with Juju leaving, I think they need another wide receiver. Uh, I do think they need another tight end or, or just a tight end in general, and they need a running back. I mean – Eric Ebron was pretty good. It yeah. drops. They need to stop dropping. Yeah. All the receivers yeah. are really All good. The receivers no, I think they need. Right. I think they need. I think Eric Ebron is going to stop. Juju's going to stop doing. And Ebron, and Ebron, Juju, Deontay Johnson, um, and a Chase Claypool core can be very good if they just slide learned how to yeah, catch. But Juju's got to stop guys, TikTok dancing. I agree with what you imagine. I just think Big Ben, he can't carry a team, and I'm not saying he isn't toner, turnover prone, and there aren't flaws. I just, if you look at the quality of some quarterbacks that are made to the Super Bowl, right? I'm thinking, like, look at Jared Goff from last year. Do you think that that Big Ben next year is going to be worse than Jared Goff from last year? I'm just saying, like, if they have, like, that elite defense, which I think they're capable of and can get a very good running back, either through the draft, which I think is much more possible than getting a very good receiver this year, I think that they could really do it. I just... I don't know. I think it's worth going for one more year with Big Ben rather than dra- trying to switch this year. I feel like, you know, you got to put some blame on Mike Tom. And I've said this for years. I think his teams are undisciplined. I think especially when he would have to go up against the Patriots, he was just completely at coached. I think he inherited a great defense from Bill Cowher. And I think it collapsed within five years. And I think he's had all this. He was gifted all these. Well, he wasn't gifted, but he did. He doesn't know how to draft receivers. But he didn't win with Big Ben, Le'Veon Bell, and Antonio Brown in their prime. Look, look, I respect Mike Tomlin, but I don't think – I think his teams are traditionally undisciplined. This is a team that was near the top, I think at the top, in penalties. So I think I'm going to agree with one of your points and disagree with the other. I'm going to agree that there should be blame with Mike Tomlin. I think you're right. His teams, while good, and I know he has won a Super Bowl, at least as of recent history, have not had – much success in the postseason and he has been outclassed by coaches right such as he almost always seems to outclassed by Brady like I don't think he's in the same class as Andy Reid with that said he's still a very good coach he's still almost always able to lead his team to the playoffs or winning divisions or coming close to winning divisions and I think the claim that his teams are undisciplined is not really fair really if you look at the whole Antonio Brown Le'Veon Bell situation the fact that he was able to keep that under the ropes and disciplined is for as long as it was. Yeah, I actually think no, no, I actually think that's the only fair criticism Mike Tomlin is. He doesn't know how to discipline his star players. They get away with way too much in um in Steel City. And I mean, all of, you see all these players that turn corrosive, and Juju's like the there's a long line of of corrosive players under Mike Tomlin. I think he needs team need way more discipline. The Pouncy Twins. Like there's so many. Bad Steelers players, but um, I think that's fair. To, uh, that's a fair criticism of, of Tomlin. I was gonna say Fox of Tomlin. Time to move on to WT WFT, which is the Washington Football Team, which I'll be taking away. I will put, be putting on my little cute analyst hat, like Ellis has his little uh, nerd goggles on. Um, to quote Alex Glenn, he looks like a nerdlet um, and lovely. So let's move on. So 
I wrote down some points. I don't know how you guys do this, but let, let me try. Um, excuse me. Um, so Haneke actually looked fantastic uh, for just coming in. I thought he did an amazing job. He has this outright chemistry with Logan Thomas, which you can like already see developed. I don't know. They're probably throwing around uh, as backup quarterbacks together in bench camp. I thought that was pretty cute, though, that they could both really get it going. He's absolutely fearless. He has absolutely nothing to lose, which I thought was like fantastic, uh, especially in, in the pocket. He has so much poise, so much confidence. He's not afraid to get hit which, um, you know, I think some quarterbacks today are really, like, tentative of the hit. He's not. He embraced that. He has a tremendous amount of athleticism as well, and I think they really have to consider moving forward to him with uh, with this star quarterback of the future. I mean, you guys saw he escaped, like, three different sacks, ran for that touchdown. The one interception he threw came off a deflection. Um, but, you know, that fearlessness, I don't know if it comes from a backup, like, mentality. He's like, well, they just put me in, coach. Like, I'm just going to do whatever I want, and we're going to see how it ends up. Or it might be from a more like intrinsic, actually place of confidence, which I really hope it is because it was so much fun um, watching him play. I think it was a vintage Brady game. I mean, all credit to the Michigan product. Um, no matter how like how you play like that, uh, there's not much you can do when you're facing Brady in his prime. Um, Haneke has a hell, hell of an arm though. And I think that Washington defense just really let them down. Um, Chase Young really didn't get things going. He was blocked the whole game. So all credit, tip my hat to the Bucks offensive line. They were especially good on the goal line. Did a great, uh, great, great stand there. Um, you know, ha it's kind of weird because Haneke completed almost every pass he threw on third down. It might not have been like um, a, a conversion, but he completed almost every single pass on third down, uh, which I thought was pretty wild. Um, Brady had all day to throw. Again, credit to the offensive line. Um, they really, they really missed Chase Young that that like little part of the second half. But I thought they did really well. Um, so how do we move forward from here? I think Ron Rivera has really put together a crafty team like he usually does. Riverboat Ron, and Heineke's really made a, a name for himself as to be the starter next year, uh, considering he's older. The only one big problem in Washington future is that Doug Peterson was fired, so he can't throw the game uh, next year, and the Giants it's might true. win the division. So I, if I had to put one blemish on Washington's season is that Doug Peterson was fired, and thus they can't make the playoffs next year. How did I do as an analyst? I think it did pretty well. Pretty good job. We're good up until Nine that last time. I think I think we sweep on this Washington defense. I mean, they were top five in the league in most. I don't, I don't think I don't think anyone's really sleeping on them. Yeah, I think, but we don't refer to them as an. Do we? People refer to them as an elite defense. I, I, think, I think they're. I think they're almost they're a very good defense. I don't know. I and also, this is a young. Their, you have their corners and safeties are not that great. But yeah, their really secondary fine. is not terrific. The defensive line is one of the best in the league. Yeah, you have Montez Sweat and Chase Young, Pat Rushing the passer. I mean, um, all, all their defensive linemen are first-round draft picks the last four yeah. years. A lot of and promise the, offensively. McLaurin, yeah. Gibson. A lot, of, a lot of promise. The one thing I want to push back on a bit with Henneke. First of all, an amazing story, and I really kind of hope he works because that's – I actually don't know because I still love Alex Smith, so it's hard to read against one or the other. It's hard to say a lot from this game because you see a lot of quarterbacks have success in the beginning – especially for an experienced quarterback like Henneke that's been around the game a while, simply because people don't have much tape on him, right? They don't know his tendencies the way you do of a quarterback who's had a full season of starting, of starting under his belt, right? Where you can kind of look, okay, here's what he does. 
So that often makes quarterbacks like what you saw Jalen Hurts in his first game, right? When he beat the Saints. The Saints just kind of weren't really sure what to do against him. No, I'm not saying he can't be really good. He looked really, really great, and I don't want to take anything away from him. I'm just saying this one good game doesn't necessarily mean he should be the starter next season or anything like that. I think that's a bit of an overreaction. Although it was a very good game. I don't want to take that away from you. Jeremy, I agree with you. Haneke was impressive. I mean, the toughness, the throws on the run, um, the mobility around the pocket. But, yeah, there's a reason that, you know, he was in the AF. I mean, you got to see more from him. Uh, I definitely think they bring back Alex Smith. He's a starter next year. Well, He's going to be the starter next year. I might add with Henneke too. I remember after the Panthers game, leading into that, they kept Dwayne Haskins. They're like, okay, there's no way we can win a game with Henneke. So there's no way you can go from not having a chance to win a game with Henneke. So you keep someone that's clearly crappy for the team morale, like Dwayne Haskins, to in two weeks having him suddenly be the starter. All right. I think that concludes our uh, experimental obituary segment. Thank you all for coming to the morgue. We really appreciate it. Uh, we hope you can give you another tour again another time. Maybe see you here. You can uh, stay here permanently uh, if you wish. But yeah, let's move on to an ad by Ellis Gordon. This week's ad is going to be a little different. It's going to be, you know how Dave Portnoy has his pizza review for Barstool? Not that I'm a Dave Portnoy fan, but I do find those semi-entertaining. Well, I want to have my movie TV review. I'm going to campaign for two movies and TV shows right now. One, Soul. Great movie. Awesome movie. Great message. Ellis, you're a genius. Ellis, you're a genius. Ellis really appealing, appealing to the five-year-old audience we have. No, it's actually a great movie, Ellis. It's a great movie. Oh, watch it with the fam. Quality, quality movie. I'm giving it a 9.1 out of 10 on my Ellis movie TV rating. Next is a show. Next is a show that really I've been binging throughout um, throughout my winter break from college. And it is Breaking Bad. Awesome show. Everyone should watch it. Insane. Amazing. My amazing one criticism show. is... Hey, it's hey a, Ellis, bring, yeah. in, bring in a friend to help here. Right here. Um, yeah. During college, I binged uh, Breaking Bad, neglecting to do all my work. And look, I take my work pretty seriously, but Breaking Bad is taken even more seriously because it's it's such an amazing story. Really um, it really appeals to character development, world class. Really, the inner drug dealer in all of us. Um, and I, I really think it, it was is amazing experience. And the fact that I got to watch it until 5 a.m. every morning in my dorm room is just uh, heighten the experience even further. So please, um, you can watch it normally too. You don't have to. Um, you don't have to watch it um, until 5 a.m. But I really recommend it. It really uh, improves the experience. Back to yeah. you, Will. But for my rating, I'm giving it a 9.4 out of 10. My one criticism is, and I know it's part of the show, it is a bit dark for the viewers. So I know we're giving out free promotional here. No payments, you know, you're welcome. But 9.4 out of 10, because I think it's a bit sad and I, you know, it makes me a little sad. But other than that, Great shows, you should check those out. That's my movie Ellis, you're really generous with your rankings. No, 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 when I, when I, I'll give you bad rank. These are quality films. When I give you bad, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you if it's bad next time I see something bad. Thank you, Ellis, for that wonderful ad. Let's move on to some predictions for the week. Um, let's see if I can get them correct this week. First, um, I think we have through two basketball games and four, uh, the remaining four football games. Uh, all very excited. Let's kind of make it kind of snappy because I think we're running a bit long on the episode. So let's talk about uh, the two basketball games first, and we'll, we'll do these quick, and then we'll go th- uh, a little more in depth on the football analysis. Uh, Mavericks at Bucks, Luca Giannis. 
Yeah, I love me some Luca. I'm really stuck with who to pick here. I think Giannis and Luca are two of the most dominant players in the league. Chris Milton has been very, very good this year. But returning for the Mavericks, Kristaps Porzingis. He's returning, hasn't played yet this year. And I think the Mavericks are not playing up to their potential. Bucks seven and four, Mavericks five and four. As much as I would want to see the Mavericks win this game with Porzingis coming back, I think the Bucks are going to win this game just because Giannis and Milton have been so, so good this year. Um, if I could just add in quickly, I think I'm going to go with the Bucks just because the Bucks are generally dominant in the regular season. And in the playoffs, I'm not sure I'd pick them, but in the regular season, I'm not going to pick them. go against the Bucks. I got Bucks too. Bucks have been struggling. Uh, well, they're seven four. They've been struggling for the Bucks. Um, but I think I'm gonna go Mavericks. Porzingis is back. Give me the Mavs. Move on to our next set of predictions. I believe this one's Pacers at Clippers. Um, Pacers at Clippers. Pacers. Clippers have been really good and they're really bad. Um, bizarre season for them so far. They're seven four, so they're doing good overall. But they've had some blowout losses. Pacers have been six and four, so they're playing very well too. I'm going to go Sabonis and Old Depot. Give me the pace, City. I think it's I think it's a – well, first of all, it's a basketball game. With how many there are, it's definitely either team could win. That said nothing. I'm going with the Clippers. I just think, yes, they're inconsistent. One, they're hot. They're almost unbeatable. Yeah, like Jeremy said, there's two teams in this game that have a chance to win, but I'm going to go with the Clippers. All right. I'm also going to go with the Pacers. Agree with Ellis in this one. DeMar, I've seen a lot of good play from Sabonis this year because he literally destroys the Knicks every single time. He's like G Man Choi against the Yankees. DeMarcus Sabonis against the Knicks is one of the best players in the NBA. Pacers. All right. Uh, this is what we've been waiting for divisional championship round. Uh, we have some great games this week. Let's start off with Rams and Packers. Uh, usually we see Seahawks, Packers at this stage, but the Rams, quick upset. Who are we taking here, Jeremy? Uh, the Rams. They they lost to the Jets, therefore I refuse to believe they're a good team. Let's go Packers. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers' revenge tour. I think he's I think he's playing out of his mind. Let's see what David Bakhtieri lost goes, but right now, like Jared Gall broken thumb. This Rams team need to have everything go perfect to beat the Packers. I don't think it happens. Pack City. Yeah, I agree with uh Jeremy and Ellis here. This this we all we've all said it. This Rams defense is special. Jan Ramsey, top corner, Aaron Don, one of the most dominant players in football. But Aaron Rodgers, he's not a fraud, and he's going to ball the um, out. Look, I think this Rams defense actually matches up really well with this Packers offense because you've got the ability to generate interior pressure. I mean, they're good on the outside, even with their tackle hurt uh, with Aaron Donald. And they've got a cornerback who could shut down Devontae Adams as well as anybody in the league and Jalen Ramsey. But I just think too many question marks uh, with Jared Goff, especially it's going to be cold in Green Bay. I don't know how well he's going to be able to zip the ball. Cam Akers took so much of the load last game. Can he do it two weeks in a row? I mean, the Packers are just playing out of their mind. Even with Aaron Rodgers being a fraud, I'm going to go with Green Bay. Next game is Ravens and Bills. Ravens um, are all located in Baltimore. And Jeremy, of course, located in New Jersey. So uh, he has absolutely no connection to Baltimore. And he and adopting the new fans is about as legitimate as Daniel switching teams. Uh, uh, Jeremy is a bandwagon. So- no connection. Hey, Daniel, okay, have you ever you know been what? to Tampa? Me, I've been to Florida. Let me explain it. Like, locate Tampa on a map. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I might not actually be able to do that. Really? Do you know which coast uh, it's on? I think, oh, it's like really south, right? Not no, really. no, it's in the middle. It's in the middle. It's, yeah, it's in the middle. Middle where? West or east? 
the middle, and like when it goes like this, it's like right here, this, and this. Miami, down here. Orlando's a little bit up there. Oh no, it's on the uh, it's on the uh, left side. The, the west, west side. Yeah, that's what I said. I'm moving. I'm gonna live in at Johns Hopkins next four years. I'm moving in this Saturday. Saturday night, the Ravens are playing, so I will watch the Baltimore team. The team I am adopting until the Jets are good. So maybe the next 30 years, we'll see. Jeremy, that's come on. Yeah, oh, I'm not arguing with it. I look, I, it's that or be depressed over the Jets. I'm taking in the Ravens in Baltimore. You know, I'm picking the Ravens. Legitimately, I do think they will win because the Bills, I think they're starting just a much younger team. Not that Lamar Jackson isn't young, but they have been in a playoffs two years in a row now. The Bills, I think they barely beat the Colts. I think part of the reason part of the reason they won that game was that the Colts played very badly situationally. So I am going with the Ravens. Not that the Bills can't win. Of course they can win. I just think that the Ravens are a little bit more experienced in the playoffs. So we got the Ravens. All right, all right. That's enough of that absolute bullcrap slander. First off, I'm gonna go Ravens here. I'm gonna preface that real quick. And there's a reason why. But for none of the reasons Jeremy said, because first off. The Bills players are way more experienced than the Ravens. They're a better team in pretty much all facets. And so, you, Ellis, you ask, why picking the Ravens? I mean, Josh Allen's just worlds ahead better than Lamar Jackson. Well, here's why. Unfortunately, the Bills have only one flaw, and that is run defense. And what do the Ravens like to do? Because Lamar Jackson can't throw, run the ball. And so, unfortunately, the Ravens are the – I think the Bills have a better chance of being the Chiefs than the Ravens. That's how I, That's how much I feel about the Bills. I think the Bills versus Chiefs, I would I would pick the Bills. Ravens versus Bills, I'm picking the, the Ravens. And, here, and this is because the Ravens are just the perfect team for the Bills. They have a shutdown corner that can somewhat stop digs. They have a good secondary. They have a very good defense. And their offense is perfectly tailored for a team like the Bills. Only way I think the Bills can get this win, and I think it's perfectly possible, is if they jump out to a double-digit lead. I don't think if they jump out to a double-digit lead and Lamar Jackson has to abandon the run, this Bills team will eat Lamar Jackson alive because they can do have a pass rush, and they do have a very good secondary. If they force Lamar Jackson to throw, this Bills team will win easily. It could easily be a blowout for this Bills team. But... I don't see it. I see it being a closer game in which the Ravens have the run available, and in which case I don't think this Bills defense can stop the Ravens. They will not win at the point of attack. Josh Allen will do his best to be heroics, but the key of the game is jump out to an early lead. Bills do that. They win. I don't predict them to do that, and thus I have the Ravens, unfortunately. Yeah, I think I think this is going to be a super close game. Both teams hot. Bills on a seven-game win streak. Ravens on a six-game win streak. Both Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, pretty good quarterbacks. Josh Allen, as Ellis said, much better, especially in my opinion. Uh, both defenses, top defenses in the league, top secondaries, and the Ravens have a pretty good pass rush. But uh, I think as Ellis and Jerry both have said, the Ravens run the ball very, very well. J.K. Dobbins, touchdown on the ground, seven straight games. I think the, the Ravens are going to run all over the Bills, and I think they're going to win this game just barely, and the Ravens are going to win. Okay, let's let's come back to reality here. I mean, I think we're sweeping on my Buffalo Bills. I mean, I mean, we forget that this team, you know, before the playoffs, many were projecting them as like, um, you know, arguably as good as the Chiefs. You know, number one, some people were having them number one in the power rankings. Let's not forget that they were in a dogfight last week, but they came out on top. They showed their mental toughness. And yeah, this Bills defense—they're not bad, but they're sort of middle of the pack in every category except for one. They're third in takeaways. And Lamar Jackson has been turning the ball over. Uh, this is a team 
that the Ravens are not near the top of the league in protecting the ball. I think the Ravens need to play a perfect game offensively because even if they control the ball, you know, have these 12, 13 play drives, the Bills can go down and score right away. So the Bills need, and the Ravens need to play basically a flawless offensive game. I think Lamar throws a couple picks. I think Josh Allen uh, and Stefan Diggs, Diggs who struggled uh, for the most part against Corey Davis. I mean, Josh Allen is, Brian Tannehill couldn't go down. He had a chance to win the game and he couldn't do it. I think Josh Allen, if he gets in a chance where he could win, he has to go down the field and win the game. I think he could do it. And I just, I just trust the Bills more. So I'm going to go with the Bills. Real quick. I think another thing that's helping the Bills here, and I know I picked the Ravens, is that it is in Bills Mafia territory and they are a rowdy bunch. Yeah. That I really think this is first time playing in the snow too. Again, I really think, yeah, but that's not going to hurt him. I, I really say, think this is going to be, this is going to be a game dictated by in the first quarter who wins. I, I know that doesn't happen yeah. that often, but wait, 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 I'm, I'm moving into upper New York in uh, or Western New York in, on <laughs> Wednesday. Doesn't that mean I'm a Bills fan now? Moving on to next game. We got Browns at Chiefs. I am actually really excited to see this one. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see how the Chiefs play in the playoffs, but, uh, you know, this Browns team put up a lot of points on what we thought was a good Steelers team. So do the Browns have hope here, Ellis? Yeah, I think the Browns have hope if the Chiefs let them have hope. The Chief, I can see the Chiefs easily um, underestimating the Browns, but I'm not going to make base my predictions off that. I'm just saying I can see it. So if the Browns somehow win, don't be like, I told you so, because I can see it. But I, as a predictor, I'm picking the Chiefs because I'm not predicting they underestimate them. Um, no, the Browns do not have hope. Because I'm just going to read you something I saw on Twitter that was interesting. The Browns' defense is 29th in DVOA on deep passes, 29th in DVOA on third down passes, 28th in DVOA on passes to tight ends. You can't beat the Chiefs like that. DVOA, defensive value above average. I like numbers, I, guy. numbers guy. I um, look, I have tons of respect for the Browns. I'm happy they won this playoff game. I'm happy they beat the Steelers, but it's the end of the road. We're going to talk about, you know, hope. I think next week if we do obituaries, we'll talk about how they improve. But I just don't think they're ready to beat the Chiefs right now. Yeah, I would definitely totally agree with Ellis and Dan here. This Chiefs team, it's very, very high-powered offense. Mahomes is one of the best quarterbacks, probably the best. Tyreek Hill, top five receiver. And we've, we've seen in recent weeks that this Chiefs team has started very slow. And this Browns team is going to be coming in with a head of steam. So I'm, I'm thinking the Browns, they are going to pull out to it to at least a 10-point lead, I'm thinking, early in, the, early in the game. But there's no shot Mahomes and the Chiefs lose this game. I think there's definitely a chance that the Chiefs lose just because of how slow they've been playing. Mahomes has been on a bad stretch. I'm picking the Chiefs. I'm going to be clear. I'm 100% picking the Chiefs. I just don't think it's a foregone conclusion. All right. Uh, Ellis, what do you think? What do you think Buck Saints? I'm picking the Saints here. This defense is going to stop Tom Brady, put pressure on him. And, I mean, Drew Brees. It's like the play. football team, right? Yeah, who Saints daddied the Bucks in the regular season. And I mean, Breeze is going to, Michael Thomas is now healthy. The Saints team is only better. Coaching, also, I'm I think. Calling it Gronk game winning touchdown. Now get out of here. Saints win. I'm, I'm going to go next because I'm sure Fox has a lot to say about this. To me, my pick is not complicated. These teams have faced twice in the regular season in both games. The Saints won, and neither was particularly close. I think both were by at least two possessions. One was the 31, the last one, the 31-3 shellacking. I, the, they're different teams now. I'm not saying the Bucks can't win, but it seems a little bit crazy to me to not pick the Saints here. Okay, I want to say that before I even talk about my prediction, I want to say that the regular season has no impact on my pick. 
because I remember in 2010, the Patriots beat the Jets 45-3 to on Monday Night Football. It was embarrassing, and the Jets went into New England and won a playoff game. I think it's very hard to beat a team three games in a row. However, I mean, I just look at this team, these two teams, and I think besides the quarterback position, there are mismatches up and down the field. I mean, Lattimore is going to take Mike Evans away like he did the first two games. Alex Coppa got hurt. Now they're going to a backup guard. I mean, that's not good against this pass rush. And the Saints just do everything well. They're good against the run. They're good against the pass. Turn the ball over. And Carlton Davis cannot guard Mike Thomas. I think we all know that deep down. And I think this is a different Bucks team. You have Antonio Brown fully incorporated. Godwin and Evans are healthy. But to win this game, Tom Brady is going to need to do something extraordinary to make up for the ineptitude and the outcoaching that Sean Payton is going to do against Bruce Arians. And I just, I, as much as I love Tom Brady, I don't think he gets this done. I am an analyst first. I'm an analyst first. And I look at this team and I am going to go with the New Orleans Saints. And it's embarrassing. Wow. Uh, wow. Hopefully next, wow. Year, that's insane. Wow. Hopefully next year, the Bucks come back better in the secondary, better coaching. But Sean Payton is just, it's just worlds ahead of Bruce Arians. And he, yeah, I'll coach him twice. He's going to out-coach him again. Uh, well, after that round of predictions, um, that was quite the surprising turn by Daniel Fox. He looks disappointed, but hey, he's the best ever. So, um, also, Lots of variation in all of our picks. This should be a really yeah, interesting. Yeah, I know. Should be, should be very interesting. Uh, all right, let's take this one away. This is more of a vocabulary term that I think uh, is really, really important. And all, all of you guys should know and know when to use it and when not to use it. <laughs> Are you a nice person? Do you find yourself acting very nice to your preferred romantic partner? Do you find yourself being labeled a simp? Own it. It's okay. Does your partner ask to fill up your water when they're totally capable of doing it themselves? That's okay. Does your partner insist on coming over during a recording of an episode of our podcast and you say, okay, that's okay. Do you feel the need to bake them brownies uh, and bake them other baked goods and post it on your story? That's okay. Do you feel like a 43-year-old man is the only sense of fulfillment you'll ever get in life and you wish that he'd treat you like he treated his own kids on January 1st? That's okay. Do you admire the chiseled calves of a certain NFL running back with absolutely no reason why asking him to prom multiple times over Twitter. That's okay. It's okay to be a simp. Own it. All right. That was my ad. Uh, It was a little bit, you know, a little uplifting. Very nice. I thought, uh, you know, each of us could take a little bit away from it. It's good to be a simp. And now to our wacky sport of the week analyst reporting live from the field. Ellis Gordon. Thank you. I'm live here on the field for the week, watching it happen as we go. And we have for our wacky for the week is worm charming. And yes, this is a sport. Worm charming, also known as worm grunting and worm fiddling, is pretty simple. Each competitor gets a patch of ground and a certain amount of time, usually like 30 minutes, to bring as many worms as they can to the surface. And, you know, whoever brings the most worms to the surface wins. And so, and they can use any method they want. They can bring any of their own supplies. Except dishwashing detergent, because that's apparently been banned by Peter. Well, I'm bringing a bulldozer, and I'm going to take out all the worms. I I guess I can. I'd like to address the elephant in the room, or more likely, the elephant happily out in the wild. 
we have a beef with PETA, and that's okay. That's true. There's some crazy, crazy animal lovers, and you know they what? Need to stop protecting animals. I think I oh. think they gotta stop. We we get DMs from PETA every the, week. We get hashtag free the fur coat. We get the World Worm Champ Charming Championships are held in the village of Williamston near Nantwich, Cheshire, and everyone gets a three by three meter plot, and it's thirty minutes to charm. So it is thirty minutes. All right, and with that, let us move on. To the conclusion of our Jeremy, podcast. Good luck with the bulldozer in a three by Wait, three meter. Uh, every analyst but Ellis, uh, I'd like to all put our hands out and uh, prayer for Ellis's mouth. We all hope that it manages my, to survive uh, through this rough time. Ellis, Ellis, we're all rooting for you. You make, you got this. Thank you for listening to episode forty-five of the podcast. This will be our conclusion. To the podca- podcast. That's one. If you want to start a podcast with your friends, with corporate sellout. Want to yeah, corporate sellout. If you want to get your like ideas out to the world, then use our link in the description and start a podcast with Brus Sprout today. You can get a twenty five dollars Amazon gift card if you do. I know. Whoa, Amazon. Anyway, subscribe to our subscribe. Follow our Instagram at what.podcast and Twitter at what.podcast. That's with a capital W O T dot P O D C A S T. Twitter is for Dan's takes. Well, supposedly Dan's takes been dormant for three weeks or four maybe and instagram we have some nice face um what do you call them photoshops and you always know when our next episode is out also follow and subscribe and like and do all that good stuff put notification bells on to our youtube at who's on top that's where we got we post our highlights and you can see our faces especially sexy jeremy with sexy clark kent jeremy whoa the blue light glasses listen to our podcast at spotify buzzsprout apple podcast deezer uh, I think that's it. Or pretty much wherever you get your podcast, any mainstream platforms, unless you're using some Malaysian background platform site, then don't do that. I think that is it for this episode. As always, have a good week. Stay safe, stay healthy. Hope you enjoyed the episode and goodbye.